So glad you're here. Um, we are uh, thrilled this morning. Uh, this has been an encounter weekend. Uh, some of you knew that. Uh, we were, we've been talking about it for weeks. And yesterday, we were thrilled to have a good number of us join us both online and in person to uh, learn more about how to pray and connect with God in a real way. And, and uh, Aaron White was with us yesterday, and Aaron uh, has come back and is speaking this morning. I want to tell you a little bit about who he is. Um, he's very involved as the Communities Director of 24-7 Prayer Canada, an amazing ministry that facilitates prayer around the clock uh, all over the world. I think they're up to something like 100,000 hours of prayer time in Canada alone. And so what a great ministry. He's uh, part of the community at Jacob's Well. Uh, he's uh, also the Vancouver representative for the International Association of Refugees. He's a professor at Westminster Theological Center, and he's been a longtime pastor and missioner and, and justice worker in the downtown east side where he lives with his wife and four teenagers, mostly teenagers and some young adults. And uh, he's co-authored a bunch of books and, and also um, author of this book here, Recovering from Brokenness and Addiction to Blessedness and Community. It's just an excellent read. And we actually have some copies here on hand. And so if you'd like to, to pick up a copy, they're $30. And it all goes towards Jacob's Well. So that ministry in the downtown east side, uh, an amazing ministry, um, working with that, that community. And just love, uh, I love that ministry. And so if you want to support that ministry and get a book at the same time, um, you can buy this book. And it'll be at the back uh, at the Welcome Center. Uh, let's invite, with a warm hillside welcome, Aaron to come on up, and he's going to share with us. So glad you're here. Thank you. It is really good to be here. I, it's always awkward being introduced um, because, it, you know, you start to hear all the things that you do, and, and you also know the reality of what your life is like. Uh, people say, what is your day-to-day -day like? And it's never quite the same. Some days I'm just struggling to get my kids out of bed and to school, and, and then I go into Jacob's Well, and I'm the chief mopper. You know, my, my title is resident theologian, but, but I have to clean as much as anybody else. And, um, you know, we just, we're just trying to live life. And I actually don't typically introduce myself with any kind of titles or what I do, because that's not the way that my indigenous friends uh, introduce themselves. They introduce themselves by talking about the land that they're from and the relations that they have, which is actually an extremely biblical way of introducing oneself rather than the stuff that we do and our education and all that kind of thing. So I like to talk about my grandmother uh, who, uh, when she was young, was part of a traveling gypsy group going across Canada in a covered wagon, uh, putting on shows and reading people's palms. That's what she did. And, uh, and somehow she met my grandfather, who was a milk farmer in Saskatchewan. I don't know how that happened. I never got the story, <laughs> but they got married and had my dad. And then my, my mom's uh, family came over from Scotland and, and uh, were living in the Okanagan. And somehow they all came together. My grandmother actually was working in the downtown side for the Salvation Army for many, many years while my grandfather and my father were in the downtown side at different pubs getting drunk and getting into a lot of trouble. 
And that's the kind of that's a, the story of a lot of families. Actually, there's a study in conflict, and eventually, my grandfather, who had been really broken by the by the Second World War, um, came back to faith finally near the end of his life, and my father did as well. Um, and uh, and so, you know, I was raised I was raised in a pretty safe place in Kitsilano, in Vancouver. I don't know if people know Kitsilano. People have an idea of what Kitsilano is right now. That's not what the Kitsilano of my youth was. It was a working-class neighborhood, mostly Greek. I learned all the Greek swear words, and uh, because those were all my friends. And um, but then, and we lived in social housing in Kitsilano, which is like doesn't exist anymore. It's actually been replaced by a spa for dogs. My, the, honestly, I was displ- displaced by a spa for dogs. That's what gentrification in Kitsilano looks like. Um, but, uh, but I have been living in the downtown east side now for the last 18 years with my family. And we live in a house of 13 people. And we live beside a chicken factory on one side and a functioning brothel on the other side. Location, location, location. It's where you want to be. Um, but we love it. Uh, this, it's our neighborhood. We love where we live. And I come with greetings from 24-7 Prayer Canada as we've been inspiring and honoring and resourcing prayer across the nation for the last 20 years. And part of the larger 24-7 prayer movement. And, and I come greetings, bringing greetings from the downtown side and specifically from uh, Jacob's Well. Uh, where I do a lot of work. We're going to talk about that story today from John 4 uh, in Jacob's Well. And, and specifically, we're going to talk about what it means to receive a series of invitations to the table. And it's about reconnecting with God and reconnecting with one another. And I want to explain a little bit about Jacob's Well, uh, the actual ministry that I'm part of, just before we get into that. Do we have a picture? I think I, I don't know if we, we got it. Did we? Yeah, there we are. Okay. So this, this is a picture that was taken really uh, uh, the week before the lockdown two years ago. And this was the last time that we were able to bring in a bunch of students from Vancouver Christian School. They will come down and do kind of an immersion week. We've got the next one coming up in, in two weeks, which is really exciting. We haven't been able to do it for two, two years. Um, but we had a big worship time back there in the drum. is a guy named Slow-Mo uh, who loves to clean the neighborhood. And uh, on the other side is a guy named Rob. He's beating the drum very loudly and not in time. And uh, it's very disruptive, and he loves it. And there's a, a little dog there who's a bit of a therapy dog, and right in the middle is a man named John. And John's nickname uh, was Twinkle Toes. And uh, he loved to dance, and he loved to worship. And he was my primary prayer partner. He was, as you see, in a mobility scooter, but he said, I want to pray with you, Aaron. I want to pray with you every day. And I said, well, I can't afford just to go and do it, but I am praying every morning at 8 o'clock in the morning. And he said, well, if you call me at 7 o'clock in the morning, I'll be there at 8. I said, oh, that means I have to get up at 7 o'clock in the morning. But I did, and I called him, and he'd wake up, and then he'd get himself all ready, and he would come down rain or shine, snow, didn't matter. And I knew I had to be there because he was going to be there, and he would pray with me. And uh, John passed away in November, uh, as well as a number of other our people have, have been dying. We've done a lot of funerals recently, um, some from COVID, some from overdose, some from other stuff. It's been a very difficult season for us, uh, but the community in Jacob's Well is incredibly strong, and the reason is well, what I'm going to talk about today, why it is so strong. 
And there's a lot of people who look at the downtown east side and they think there's only negative things there. There's only darkness there. There's only chaos there. There's just people who need help. And of course, those things do exist in my neighborhood. But guess what? They also exist in your neighborhood. It's just a lot more visible in my neighborhood. But there's incredible strength and beauty and faith and hope and life in my neighborhood as well as there is in your neighborhood. Um, and, and that's really visible in my neighborhood as well. But you've got to have eyes to see it. So I want to explain that what we're going to talk about here is three invitations that become very apparent, I think, throughout Scripture and in our ministry, and particularly in this passage we're going to read. And I think we have them up there. Can we put those up there? The three invitations. We're first invited by God to his table. That's the first invitation and the most important invitation. We're invited by God to his table. Another way of putting this is saying we have been invited to become friends with God. Doesn't that sound good? We're invited to become friends with God. The second invitation is that we have been invited uh, to the common table. We've been invited by one another to a table. Another way of putting that is we become invited uh, to be friends with one another, friends with our neighbors, and even more. The third invitation is tricky because it's actually a disinvitation. We are unfriending the world. We are saying there is something that, there are things that are not invited to the table. Not people, but there are things that are not invited to the table, that cannot be invited to the table if the table is going to be the table. So we'll talk about those three invitations. And the first thing I want to do is read out John 4. And uh, it's a long, longish passage, and I want to read out the whole thing. And I think it's actually really important to do. Um, sometimes we, we extract little bits and pieces from Scripture, and I want to read out the whole story because we'll get a sense of it. And as I'm reading it out, I want you to pay attention to these invitations and start to think, where do you see some of these invitations in this story? Being invited by God to his table, inviting one another to the common table, and saying there are some things that are not invited. John 4, starting in verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will never be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. 
Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. That's fun. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say... There are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world." Again, I know that's a long passage, but it's really important for us to pay attention to the whole thing. And to note right from the beginning that it actually starts in a place of conflict. Jesus is in conflict a lot with people, particularly with religious people. It starts from a place where some Pharisees have heard that he's doing something, they're not happy about it, so he feels like he has to leave. Now, fortunately, we live in a world that is conflict-free, so we don't have to worry about that too much. Obviously, we're in a lot of conflict. And what I want to do in some of these invitations is to give us a bit of an idea of what do we do? What did Jesus do in the midst of this? He actually didn't give a lot of space for that particular conflict. He would get into it sometimes with the Pharisees. But in that particular case, he said, this is not the time. This is not the place. I need to go. And it says he had to go to Samaria, which is really interesting. The Greek is day. He had to go. And, and if you were a, a first century Jewish person, you would realize this is a, a weird thing, that Jesus had to go to Samaria. He was on his way up north, that's fine. The, the quickest geographical way is through Samaria, but it's not the quickest religious way. It's not the quickest social way, because to go through Samaria meant you had to go through unclean territory. You had to go through the land of your enemy. 
And it said Jesus had to go. Why did he have to go? He had to go because he had an appointment with a woman at a well. And Jesus does this all the time. He goes places, and the disciples don't particularly want to go to the places where Jesus is going. They must have had those conversations. Jesus, why do we have to go through Samaria? A good Jewish rabbi would go way out of his way to not walk through the unclean land of Samaria. Because if you walk through Samaria, wherever you're going next, you had to isolate you had to, uh, you know, wear a mask. You had to do all that stuff because you were unclean. Didn't have to wear a mask, but you did have to isolate, you know. And they wouldn't have wanted to do that. And they wouldn't have wanted to go to the place where the demoniac was. And they wouldn't have wanted to go and hang out with these unclean people. But Jesus said, I have to go there. He leaves what seems like a primary conflict, a really important discussion with these religious leaders. He goes, No, I got to get out of here. I don't, I'm not, I'm leaving. I'm going because I've got an appointment with an unknown, unnamed Samaritan woman at a well in Sychar. I love that. We have felt compelled at different times to do that. Back a few years ago, you know, when there's conflict in the world, we start to forget about the previous conflicts, don't we? We, get, we pay attention. We should pay attention, but we start to forget about the other things. That Six months ago, we were really concerned about Afghanistan. And before that, you know, there was other conflicts that we were really concerned about. And I remember just hearing all the stuff about what's going on in the southern border of the United States with all the, all the migrants coming through and all just the horrible things that people were saying about migrants. And it just struck my heart. And I go, that isn't right. That's not who they are. And so we said, we need to go. We need to pray. But we, didn't, we decided we're not going to go to the southern border of the states. We'll go and pray in the southern border of Mexico because that's where a lot of people are coming up through Central America. And we're going to go into refugee camps and settlements. We're going to meet people and pray with them. And it was such a beautiful experience. We went to the place that nobody was really paying very much attention to, to go and pray. And this is where Jesus has to go, to this hidden place of conflict between Samaria and Israel. And he invites this woman into a scandalous conversation. And I was telling this story with a, a group, our group from Jacob's Well, and we have a friend there who came from Syria. She's a refugee from Syria. And she's a Muslim woman, and, and she's involved in our team, um, really loves what Jacob's Well does. And uh, she, when we talked about this, I said, Is there any, what's going on with this woman and Jesus? She was scandalized. She was saying, oh, she must not go out and talk with Jesus. She's out in public, and she's alone, and he's alone, and he's a Jewish man, and she, this is not okay. She said, if I did that, the entire village would be talking. So she was able to receive this and understand the scandal of the situation far better than we are. But she said this, and I won't forget it. She said, there must have been something about Jesus that, invite, that made her feel safe to talk to him. And, and he was her enemy. But Jesus made something available to her. He invited her in to something. And he invites her, and by extension, he invites the Samaritans into true worship. He says, you will be part of those who worship in spirit and in truth. He invites the Samaritans to God's table. They had been part of Israel, but were severed. That's what the Samaritans were historically. They had been part of the nation of Israel, but had been severed and mixed with other nations. And so they were considered incredibly unclean. They were in conflict. But Jesus says, you are welcome in. And he's also welcoming his disciples to that table, which is interesting, because again, they probably didn't want to go. They probably didn't want to join him there. But he said, if you're going to follow me, the way to follow me is to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. And we spiritualize that a lot. But actually, it meant pick up your stuff and follow me into Samaria, because that's where there's about to be a real spiritual experience 
That's where you're about to see the kingdom of God at work, at some well with some unnamed woman in Samaria. So Jesus is reconnecting people to God in this place. He is our peace with God. That's what it says in Ephesians 2.13. It says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And those of us who have grown up in church sometimes get this idea that we're the insiders. And of course we're brought near to Christ. But we could not be further away culturally from the, the, the Jewish uh, environment of Jesus. We are the outsiders in this story who have somehow been welcomed in. And we need to understand that it is also by the blood of Jesus that we have been welcomed to the table. And we should maybe stop thinking about that inside-outside thing quite so much. And so at Jacob's Well, we make this a priority. We say the most important relationship is that with God. And so we have a prayer room. We do worship nights. We do Bible study nights. We say let's invite one another into the presence of God that we've been invited into. But the second invitation is similar. It's that we are invited to the common table. And when, you know, when the disciples in this story, when they come back and they see what Jesus is doing, they are scandalized. They recognize the scandal, right? They're like, what is going on here? What, why is he talking to a woman? Jesus is breaking the Billy Graham rule, if you know what that is. The Billy Graham rule is that no, uh, no male pastor is supposed to be alone with a, a woman who's not his wife, even in an elevator or in a car. Jesus is totally disregarding that. Uh, probably he had to deal with, he had to confess and repent to his father later. He doesn't seem bothered by the scandal of this situation. He's in a very scandalous scenario, but it's not an issue for him. It's a huge issue for the church. Later in in the book of Acts, this, this whole notion, not just woman, but Samaritans and Jews and Gentiles eating together. That's what Paul was going around and doing. He was setting up tables and saying, okay, you Jews come over here and you Gentiles and you Samaritans, we're all gonna eat together. And you can just imagine everyone going, is this okay? Are we allowed to do this? I'm not sure where this food came from. And then people would come after, when Paul left, others would come after and go, no, 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 Paul was totally wrong. You're not supposed to eat together. It's really unclean. That's a really bad idea. And then Paul would have to write a letter saying, hey, those people are dumb. You can't, this is not right. <laughs> you actually should be eating together. That was like the primary conflict in the church, was should we eat together at the table? And, and, and it seems strange that that. Jesus invites this Samaritan woman, and then this Samaritan woman is sent out. Well, she just goes on her own back to the village and invites everyone to come and see Jesus. She's the first missionary in John's gospel. This Samaritan woman is the very first missionary. And that seems strange until we really look at the life of Jesus. And we experience that. So my friend, my Syrian friend, she has received uh, good things from Jacob's well. She loves that community. She comes and she prays with us. And so when she, found, when she finds other people in places of distress and need of help, she says to them, come to Jacob's well. When she is in her community with many other Muslims, she'll say, you should come to Jacob's well. They will help you. She is our best evangelist. She has brought more people in in need into our place than anybody else. And I, I don't know if that scandalizes anybody, but to me, that is the heart of what is going on here. 
that this woman who is not qualified to be a leader or missionary or pastor or anything is actually the one inviting people to this table. And we've done it at our, our Bible study as well. We, I love our Bible study because it's all filled with all kinds of crazy people. And uh, what we do is we look at a story in Scripture, we read it, we exegete it, and then next week we go, how do we live that out? And then the third week we live it out. And then the fourth week we talk about it. So that's what we do each month. And one week we were looking at the story of Jesus and the ten lepers. And we're saying, well, who are the lepers in our neighborhood? And uh, in, in any church, probably if you ask that question here, the, the quick answer would be, well, the homeless, the addict, the criminal, the prostitute. But that's my Bible study. So they, could, they weren't going to go, well, the homeless, because they weren't going to call themselves lepers. <laughs> right? So they started going, well, who are we afraid of? Who's not welcome? Who's unclean in our neighborhood? They went, oh, the police. They're unclean. They're unwelcome. We're afraid of them. And so we said, okay, well, how do we welcome them in? So we had a friend who knew a police officer who's a believer, and they said, well, can we welcome him in? And I said, okay, as long as he understands he's coming in as a leper. And they said, yeah, he can. And they said, now, what did Jesus do to the lepers? Well, he blessed them, so we're just going to bless him. So he came in, and we just blessed him. And, you know, that was six months ago, and he's still coming. And he brought his family the other week to our family night, and he's still part of our Bible study because he received welcome and blessing in this place. This is the invitation to the common table. It's actually looking at who's my neighbor and who is the person who must believe that they're my enemy. That is specifically who we should be inviting in. You know, I saw a video this morning uh, before I came here of Russian and Ukrainian believers worshiping together. You know, that's a reality. They come from the same faith background even. This is brother and brother, sister and sister, and they were praying and worshiping together. And you know, there's a great danger right now of us uh, starting to hate Russians, starting to speak enmity over Russians. And we can say, yeah, Russia is doing something that's not okay. But we are not permitted to say, that Russian is my enemy and I hate him. We're not permitted. They are brothers and sisters. And this is the different way, the third way that the church may act in the world and must act in the world. It should be showing a different thing. The people that you disagree with in the body of Christ or, frankly, in the world are the people who you should be going most out of your way to love and to serve. And so the question that is really should challenge us is who is invited to our table and who isn't? Is there anyone who's just not invited to our table, to your table? I don't mean just the church. I mean your home. I mean your life. I mean your energy, your time. Who is not invited? Now, who's actually, it's not who's not invited, but there is this third, this weird uninvitation. And this is where tr people get tripped up a lot. But who is not invited to the table? The world. The world in the Gospel of John has a specific meaning. It means the world gone wrong. It means the world organized without God. The Greek word is cosmos. And it's not just like the world, the beauty of creation around us. It's the powers and the principalities. It's human organizations and worldviews that have set themselves up in rebellion to God. Those things are not welcome at the table. They cannot be welcome at the table. And, 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 you know, when I say that, you'll probably start thinking of organizations and worldviews that you don't like. And that may be true, but remember that the world will include things that you are attached to, idols that you have, things that you have given yourself to. I'll be a little bit controversial. Uh, when people um, really see the world through just the lens of their political affiliation, I call that idolatry. That is too deep of an attachment. 
We are not called to be just so attached to one party or one political worldview that it trumps, I'm not using that word, you know, in any way, but it, it trumps our, our view of the gospel or our brothers and sisters. And we see this happening all the time, increasingly in Canada. We must not allow it. We must fight against it. We must say that is not welcome at the table. That is not welcome at the table. That idolatry is not, it cannot be welcome at the table. Fear, disgust, enmity, division, hatred as identities, these things are not, they cannot be welcome at the table of the Lord. They cannot be. The way that these disciples and likely some of John's first readers thought about Samaritans, particularly about this Samaritan woman, could not be invited to the table of Christian community. These things had to be brought into the light and conquered by Christ. And Paul uses some of his strongest words in his letters to condemn this way of thinking. He says, uh, this is actually not in step with the truth of the gospel. Saying that Jews should eat over here and Gentiles should eat over here. Or conservatives should eat over here and progressives should eat over here. We have this church over here for these people and this church over here for these people. This is actually not in truth with the step of the gospel. Your church should look and smell and sound weird. As I say that a lot. I say, if your church is really the church, it should smell weird. You should come in and go, oh, that doesn't smell like my house. Because there are people who are coming in who smell beautifully of other, um, other cooking. They smell uh, maybe in difficult ways of, of, of places where they couldn't clean themselves in the same way that we do. We, 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 should, we should be uncomfortable in the flesh walking into these places. We should be uncomfortable that, uh-oh, what if a political discussion happens? Uh-oh, that we don't know that everybody in the church, we don't just assume that everyone's going to think the same way. We can disagree, that's fine, but we are not permitted to hate or dismiss our brothers and sisters. That is uninvited to the table of Christian community. Unforgiveness is fundamentally in conflict with your identity as Christ followers. Friends, Christ is our peace between us and God. Most of us can say yes and amen to this, of course. We were made to be in union with God. This, though, must lead us to the understanding that Christ is our peace one to another. And that's how we live that out. What do we do in a world of such incredible conflict? What do we do with that? Can I make a suggestion? You know, we pray and we must pray, and prayer really matters. Do that. Continue to do that. Um, actually, world leaders, world Christian leaders have called for this Wednesday to be a day of fasting and prayer uh, for the conflict in Ukraine. Do that. But you know what else you can do? Get to know your neighbor. Invite them in. Welcome them in. Start to be ready to be the kind of people and family and community and church that really welcomes in refugees and displaced people because there's going to be more. We're working on actually the Afghanistani issue right now of trying to bring people over and we know that that's actually all going to be forgotten in the light of now the Ukrainian refugees who are going to come over and we want them to be come, come over as well. Start to be ready to do this. This is how we can respond. You probably don't have a direct line to Vladimir Putin, I'm guessing. Right? but you do have a direct line to your neighbor. Start being that kind of community, and that will change the world. Can I pray with you?
Father, we call you Father because that's who you've called yourself and you've welcomed us into that relationship as your children, as your beloved children. You've also said that the children of God are peacemakers. You've blessed us with that. And you've given us the ministry and message of reconciliation. You are, Jesus, you are our peace with your Father. But you are also our peace with one another. And there may be people here who are in internal places of conflict with a family member or a friend or at work. Please be peace there and move us into the place of peacemaking. And Father, there may be people here who are just so undone by the conflict, political conflict, even in Canada. Please be our peace for those people who we have dismissed or called out or, or tried to cancel or hated or anything like that. Please be our peace. Convict our hearts. And maybe we are just in such mourning around the conflict in the world. Lord, teach us to be peacemakers where we are so that your church right here might be a model and example to the world of what your table looks like. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.